Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I grew up with my grandparents all around me, and it was fortunate enough that we were mostly farmers, so food was the number one thing that we were rich in. We were poor in money, but rich in food. And that's really where my connection to the table, to people, to creating special moments, even with the most simplest of foods, that's where that was born. One of the things I love about food is when you have food in your mouth, you shut up and you listen. The more listening we can do, the better. I've come to believe strongly that there is nothing else, certainly in the Southern canon that I know of, that expresses the literal touch of the cook more than a handmade biscuit. There just isn't. Welcome to Homemade. I'm Marty Duncan. On this show, we like to talk about treasured family recipes and cooking in the kitchen with mom and them. For this episode, we're talking biscuits. Everybody has their favorite kind of biscuit, and that's usually what you grew up with. You might be a team flaky layers, you know, the kind you peel apart and savor one layer at a time. Or you might be team fluffy middle, where you stuff the biscuit with ham, jam, or split them in half and pour some sausage gravy over the top. And it's not just women who make the best biscuits, although recipes may have started in Grandma's Kitchen. Today, I am joined by three Southern gentlemen who have found their way to the top of the biscuit game, and I'm going to get some of their top tips and secret techniques for making world-class biscuits, which even Granny would approve. Later on in the episode, Chadwick Boyd will stop by to talk about his wildly popular biscuit time tour with my friend, Chef Carla Hall. James Beard Foundation Award winner, Chef Scott Peacock, chats with me about his renowned biscuit experience workshops found down in Marion, Alabama. But first up is the man who is synonymous with biscuits in Music City. If you live in or if you've ever visited Nashville, you know about Biscuit Love. Carl Worley, along with his wife, Sarah, founded Biscuit Love about 10 years ago. It all started with a food truck and it has blossomed into an outright biscuit empire. Everybody makes their biscuits differently, and you'll even hear some of my guests say there is no one true biscuit. You'll certainly leave with all you need to make a big batch of hot biscuits, no matter what recipe or technique you use. To kick things off, here's Carl Worley talking about the origins of his family's biscuit recipe and how biscuit love has become one of Nashville's hottest food destinations. So I remember it from my grandmother. Some of my earliest memories were her just watching me as my mom worked. She'd have biscuits every day and she'd do drop biscuits for us in a little tiny skillet. We had this small table, and at 10 o'clock every morning, she would cut a potato up into French fries and fry it on a Friday on that table with me just sitting there watching it. I'm thinking about four-year-old me watching hot oil boil. Oh, my (laughs) word. She would do that. And then on special occasions, so Christmas, Easter, anytime the family got together, she would do yeast-raised biscuits, so angel biscuits. Right. So So your grandmother was the origin. She's the one that had the recipe. You learned from watching and decided, what the heck? Let's start a food truck. Let's build an empire with that biscuit recipe. How did you get from watching your grandmother make biscuits to a biscuit empire? Oh my gosh. A lot of luck or God or whatever you believe in. My wife and I both went to culinary school as adults. And I had this bright idea. This was before Hattie B's. I had this bright idea to do hot chicken and bring hot chicken to the masses. And my wife told me I was an idiot. That would never work. And so I often remind her how much of a visionary I am. But she said, I would do biscuits and then you could do hot chicken on biscuits. You could do a lot of stuff. I think she was the true visionary. We wanted to write a business plan. And so we started looking for people. 
One of those people was working for a guy named Jason McConnell in Franklin, Tennessee, who owns a bunch of restaurants down there. And I said, hey, you think Jason would meet with me? I, I need some help writing this business plan, just real world experience. He did. He promised me 30 minutes. I left two hours later with keys to his food truck to borrow space in one of his restaurants to use as a commissary and a mentor. And we started 30 bucks in our pocket, a borrowed food truck and a dream. And off we went. And now you rule the biscuit world. <laughs> All right. Well, biscuit love is such an appropriate name for this because when you bite into one of those, it tastes like and feels like a grandma made that biscuit. Are you making them all by hand? We're making them all by hand. And so in a I don't uh, even know a, how that's possible with all those people. Wow. In a pre-COVID world, the Gulch location would do about two thousand biscuits on a Saturday and two thousand on a Sunday. So it 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 takes a team. It takes an army of biscuit makers. So and this is what you call your family reserve biscuits. This is the recipe that you grew up with. That's what you're making every day. You have a lot of things uh, on the menu besides the biscuits. But what I want to know is about this drop biscuits or these padded biscuits. Walk us through the technique really quick. Once you get the ingredients assembled in the bowl, how does it work? Sure. So dry ingredients go in, mix those around. You put your wet ingredients in. It's actually buttermilk and heavy cream. The dough is so wet, it almost looks like cottage cheese. And you'll take a, just a spoon and scoop a scoop up and drop it in some all-purpose flour. I call it patty cake. Patty cake it around and then drop it in. At home, we drop it in a cast iron skillet. In the restaurant, they're doing large volume when those are on the menu. And so we do them in a few different um, ways when they come on the menu. So it still has a, a crispy bottom. Mm -hmm. The top is still brown, but the middle is definitely fluffier, not layered like a lot of biscuits are today. These are a fluffy middle. I say right. biscuits fall in two categories. Are you flaky layers or are you Fluffy middle. And yours, I think, are definitely fluffy middle. Yes. A lot of times in a restaurant, we'll do different kinds of cakes and different things in it. So we had it on the menu as a hummingbird cake where we'd mix all the hummingbird cake ingredients in the middle of it and, and serve it with cream cheese icing. And so it's able to do fun stuff with it. One of my goals is to get people to make biscuits. And so it's pretty foolproof to make. So for all the people who can't get to Nashville, then you want to encourage them to make biscuits at home. I love your quote that I pulled from somewhere. It says, you're making biscuits and that brings people around the table. That's what we're missing these days. I love that quote. I think so. Even even more so this past year. It's it's one of the things that has brought us a lot of joy in a world where you can't get together is is pulling people around the table. And one of the things I love about food is when you have food in your mouth, you shut up and you listen. The more listening we can do, the better. I don't doubt that one bit. Then how do we get it from the cottage cheese to something that bakes? How do, how, how do you do that part? That's what you call the patty cake part? Yeah, so we'll have a second bowl with a little bit of um, just all-purpose flour in it. When you scoop it up and then throw it in that all-purpose flour, it'll hold together, and, and then you kind of patty cake to shake the excess flour off. And then at home, we'll pack them tight in a cast-iron skillet um, that's been buttered. So side to side in a cast-iron skillet, they touch. Yes. Oh, and, then, yeah. and that helps them rise up, too, I believe. They're going to move, whether it's out or up, is up to you. What is the big secret? There's got to be a secret that you'll share with us about these biscuits. How in the world do you make them taste so good? Is it the biscuit love? Or <laughs> is there another secret that we need to know about? Don't work them too much. Some people worry about getting all the flour incorporated and everything and, and versus just barely working them, working them as less as possible. And I think if you're cooking for people, you typically have love in your heart. And I think it's that true. that matters. So it, it definitely matters. There's no doubt about it. So now that we've got our biscuits in the oven, they're baking away. What is your favorite go-to, your personal favorite go-to to stick in the middle of that thing? Are you butter, jelly, jam, 
ham, sausage. What's your favorite thing to put inside one of those biscuit love biscuits? I love good jam and it's so easy to make. Put a little sugar, a little whatever fruit and cook it down. But my go-to and my childhood is soft butter whipped about 50-50 with sorghum. When we go on tour and we, we're able to go do different uh, events, we'll, we'll sometimes I'll take that and just surprise people and not tell them what it is. Right. And so uh, butter kind of cuts that sulfury part out of the sorghum when you mix right. it with butter. So is that something your grandmother did? Yeah, she always had um, sorghum and um, just soft butter. And so you take a little bit of soft butter and, and sop it up with the biscuit and kind of move it around mixing it together. And what's the number one go-to at Biscuit Love? What do customers love to put in the middle of their biscuit? The number one thing is our East Nasty by far, which is fried chicken, cheddar cheese, and then sausage gravy. Oh, wow. Just like mom used to make. Oh, no, my mom did not make that. No, <laughs> mine didn't not, either. <laughs> no, my mom did not. Now we got sausage in the middle of the biscuit or ham yeah. or bacon, but no, no chicken. That sounds delicious. So it's called the East Nasty. The East Nasty. Yeah. Okay. And so tell us what that is again. It's one of the biscuit love biscuits. Yeah. Regular love. fried chicken, cheddar cheese, and then sausage gravy. Sausage gravy, which is one of the favorite things on the planet. If y'all have never had sausage gravy, you're not living. All right. So can you walk us through that really quick too? What does that taste like? And and y'all, I mean, I am assuming y'all go through a lot of sausage gravy at Biscuit Love. We we use a local farmer and she sees uh, all of our pork comes from her. And we use about uh, three to four pigs a week just for the sausage that goes into the gravy. And so we, we start with her pork, which is, is key for us, a good fatty pork and some white lily and really good, heavy, heavy milk. Um, we use a local company. And so when you open the top, there's still that, that layer of fat on top, which you want. It kind of plays off of the, the heaviness of the gravy um, and the fried chicken, but it's not too, I don't think it's too heavy, but it, it is soul satisfying. It's everything you want breakfast to be. It sounds like the perfect thing to have on a Saturday morning in Nashville after you've been out having some fun on Broadway. You know, it sounds like the perfect stop to cure everything that ails you from the night before, for sure. Well, I'm so looking forward for this pandemic to be over so we can get back to events and back to doing things out on the road and having fun and gathering together. Are, tell me about how it's been for y'all at the restaurant with the pandemic and where you are now. It's been good. I'm thankful that we have really smart women running the company and, and we're going to come out of this. And it's allowed us to, to challenge ourselves and do different things. One of my favorite things is we fell in love with Lisa Marie White many years ago in oh, New Orleans. I and love her. I love her. Last January, she came on board at Biscuit Love. I stepped back as the chef, and she stepped in as the chef of Biscuit Love. And in my opinion, she makes some of the best biscuits on the planet. Without a doubt, she does. She tweaked our biscuits. They're better than ever. She's tweaked the menu, and it's it's 100 times better than I could do. And it's it's beautiful to see this child that Sarah and I created somebody else taking it and, and, and teaching it and making it, pushing it farther. And so I think coming out of it, I'm optimistic that people will be excited to gather. Um, and we're going to be a stronger company and have stronger people. We've been able to employ people through this. There was a few weeks where we had to lay everybody off, but we've been blessed to be able to have them and still have all of the things that we think are important. We have our staff care program still and um, our therapists on staff, and we've been able to do that through the pandemic, which I, I see as a, a great celebration. But seems to me like love is a big part of your name for a big reason. 
It seems to me that that's a lot to do with your corporate philosophy and the way that you do business, even down to working with local people who you can make a giant impact on some of these farmers and providers' lives too. So it seems to me like y'all are mixing up a lot of things just right in Nashville. Let's show some love to the Biscuit Love folks. When you're up in Nashville, we get out on the road, we start moving around and traveling again. Let's show these folks some love. Uh, Carl, best to you and to Sarah and to the whole Biscuit Love team. Thank you for sharing your family legacy, your tradition of biscuits with us and walking us through some of your secrets for wonderful biscuits. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be a part. I appreciate it. Be sure to visit BiscuitLove.com for information on their three national area locations, social media, and to find out more about Carl and Sarah's story. Up next is Chef Scott Peacock, who needs no introduction when it comes to biscuits. His award-winning restaurants have always featured his legendary biscuits, and Food & Wine named his biscuit recipe one of their top 40 recipes of all time. Scott also had a longtime friendship with chef and author Miss Edna Lewis. They wrote a beautiful cookbook together, The Gift of Southern Cooking. Chef Peacock has been hosting intimate workshops on the fine art of Southern biscuit making in a Greek revival mansion in Marion, Alabama. If you're lucky enough to make the trek, you'll learn hands-on from the biscuit master himself. You have a biscuit experience where you're actually teaching the secrets to your famous biscuits in, of all places, Perry County, Alabama, which is close to Marion, Alabama. Oh, it is Marion, Alabama, where I live and where the Biscuit Experience is hosted, is the county seat of Perry County, Alabama. And we're about an hour and a half from Montgomery and a little over an hour from Birmingham and Tuscaloosa and half an hour from Selma. So when people come here, when I come here, I mean, I live here full time now, there's very much a sense of making a journey. It was settled before statehood. So it's a very historic, I think very significant and important town with a lot of beautiful architecture and fascinating people and traditions, including food traditions. And so I'm very fortunate to host these in what has become the Biscuit Kitchen in a Greek Revival mansion here, not my house, in Marion, Alabama. Restored beautifully. I've seen the pictures. It is. The historic kitchen is still intact and is part of it that opens into the more modern kitchen that has been restored and renovated and is a very beautiful very welcoming space. And there are no clocks or timers in the Biscuit Kitchen. So it's, to me, one of the most exciting things about the Biscuit experience is that it's this very leisurely, very organic. It's not a canned experience. There's no real format to it. I mean, the format is that at some point I will make biscuits and we will eat biscuits. Yes. But it's going to meander until you get to that point, depending on who's there. Exactly. It's very. It's a very personal, very organic experience. It is very much a response to who shows up. They're very small. I always imagine it is something that three or four people would do. And sometimes we have one-on-ones or a couple will come, especially during the pandemic. We keep the groups very, very small, three or four. But we try to cap them. I mean, we make exceptions because people come for different reasons. So we've had as many as, I think, 15 people in the Biscuit Kitchen before, but that was not for like a half-day experience. So it really must say something that people would journey so far from all over the planet to come to a very rural, one hour off the highway, interstate rather, to come and learn to make biscuits. You are considered to be the foremost biscuit expert in America, and you are also a biscuit purist, aren't you? <laughs> I am definitely a purist. I don't know about the former, but that's very sweet. Uh, yes, I, I am a purist. And having said that, I would also say that like, I don't believe there is any such thing as the one true biscuit. You know, biscuit is such a personal thing. Uh, that's f- part of what is so fascinating about it to me. I'm just as fascinated in why people travel because that is interesting and we have had people come from 30 different states it is very much a journey 
So where did the biscuits originate? I grew up in a, in a town smaller than Marion. Marion is a town of 3,600 people, I believe. I grew up down in the Wiregrass, down in the southeast corner of the state, six miles from the Florida line. It is the little town of Hartford where I grew up. My mother and grandmother were terrific cooks. They were not great biscuit makers. But my father, who grew up outside the neighboring town, his parents were sharecroppers, and his mother, Grandma Peacock, was, he thought, an unequal biscuit maker. So when my parents married and they had my sister and myself, my mother would, of course, it was expected that she would make biscuits. And she did so for several years rather unsuccessfully. And my father was pretty vocal about it. And I remember a great fight when I was in the first grade. And that was the end of her biscuit attempts. And from then on, we had TV biscuits. We had canned biscuits from that time forward. And I thought that was sensational. I couldn't imagine anything more miraculous on so many levels. I bought it hook, line, and sinker. Had no idea that I was enamored with a polyester biscuit. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting, that is interesting to me that how successful that indoctrination was. So for years and years, I thought that's, that was what a biscuit was. And when we would go to Grandma Peacock's house out in the country, uh, her biscuits did not peel apart in the thousand layers and they were shorter and crusty. Her wood stove was still on the back porch, but these were cooked now in an electric oven. But to me, they, they retained some aspect of that knowledge, at least. And I didn't like them as much, and I was pretty uncomfortable with them, in part because she was poor. That was, I think that's a recurring theme that runs through the South. I, I certainly hear that a fair amount. So when I was, I don't know, eight or 10 years old, my parents were letting me cook, and I saw a recipe for biscuit that was supposed to be the world's best biscuit in some food magazine. And I attempted them and I had high expectations and it was a soul-crushing failure. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I do remember my father managed to eat one or two, but they, they were not good at all. And I was really disappointed and I just thought, well, I don't have the touch because everyone talks about the touch. And there's something to that. There really is something to There's some principles, I think, that once you understand and learn that you can... There are some very specific things to do and not to do. It's more about what not to do. I very much believe in the handmade biscuit. I know there are a lot of tricks and very popular, you know, frozen grated butter is very popular, big, super tall laminated biscuits. And I don't begrudge that at all. It's just not my biscuit because when I make biscuit, I feel connected to Grandma Peacock and Miss Lewis and cooks before them who were really doing this on a daily basis, sometimes more than once a day, as a means of feeding hungry mouths. But I also think of it as a means of expression. And I've come to believe strongly that there is no nothing else, certainly in the Southern canon that I know of, that expresses the literal touch of the cook more than a handmade biscuit. There just isn't. And you can't make someone else's biscuit. No one else can make your biscuit. I can't make, you know, I strive. I have ideas of what I'm trying to do every single time I do it. But it's a practice and it's not always the same. And the variables are infinite, including who I am on that day, you know. I think about that a lot because I have most of my mother's things and I am in my mother's kitchen now that both my parents have passed away and that's where I do most of my cooking. And I can tell you for sure that I can use the same pot, the same recipe, the same oven, the same everything, and somehow it doesn't quite taste the same. It is a touch. For me, hers would taste the same every single time. And mine, right. like you said, it sort of depends on my day, how, how it turns out. I wonder if she thought it tasted the same every time. You know, that would be interesting to know. I don't know, but I do know this much. Even if I don't get it just right, I'm close enough, you know, close enough. The, the act is important. I mean, I do make my own baking powder, and I can we can talk more about the ingredients if you want to. So, I mean, I evolved well, I definitely from being, want to. I did evolve from when I first successfully made a biscuit, which was when I was in my early 20s in, in Tallahassee, and it was using self-rising flour and a recipe that, frankly, was right off the Martha White bag. And I've evolved because I 
was always interested in how things were made. So when I discovered you can make your own baking powder, that was thrilling to me. And I've never looked back. But a friend of mine recently sent me a picture of biscuits. She's working on making biscuits and lives in Charleston. And she sent me a photograph. And I was like, those look amazing. And she wrote all caps, self-rising flour. And it was sort of in a even though it was all caps, I felt like it was sort of apologetic because she knows a lot about homemade baking powder, et cetera. And I wrote back without even thinking, but I meant it. The act is much more important than the ingredients, you know. It's true. When you put a bowl or a platter of hot biscuits or a skillet of hot biscuits on the table, well, let's face it, you put the butter, the jam, the sausage, the bacon, whatever your jelly, whatever you're putting in there, your biscuit can maybe not have to be perfect, but there's the act that you got up that morning and you whipped up those biscuits, put them in the oven and, and are bringing them to the table with joy. Usually you're so proud and so happy that it, it is an act of love. It's a miracle every time. People have asked me before, I mean, a lot of people say, why biscuit? And there's a lot of reasons. For one thing, because I did grow up unable to make them. So once I discovered I was able, that was very exciting to me. In my earlier cooking career, I was not interested in the American South or the food of my childhood. I mean, that, that came and came very quickly. It was a conversion moment. But I was thinking earlier today about when I went to Behringer Vineyards um, for the School for American Chefs, which is just a two-week program with a wonderful, wonderful teacher, Madeline Kamen. And she asked if I made biscuits and fried chicken, and I was dismissive at that time. Later, <laughs> I've devoted a lot of time and energy to making biscuits and fried chicken and, and take a lot of pride in being able to make them and to sometimes make them well. So in, in that way, it, it, like for me, biscuit making biscuit is even an act of reconciliation. Just with your past? Absolutely, absolutely. With Grandma Peacock, you know, because I, I had some, I was a little embarrassed by her as a kid because she was poor and not educated. And now she, as I'm older and understand things more, she's become this deeply heroic figure to me. And uh, probably so much more educated than you ever realized. Oh my God, absolutely. An extraordinary, extraordinary human being. Strong, strong woman. She's always very present for me when I'm making biscuits. So yes, it is an act of reconciliation for me. It's, it's a meditation of sorts. It calls me to be present. I think that's one of the beautiful things for anyone in making biscuit is that it, it really, it is like a jealous lover. You know, it, it wants all of your attention. Yes, it does. It's like a dog. It can smell fear. So you have to, you know, fake it till you make it. It calls you to be present, and at the same time, it connects you to your own personal history. It connects you to a greater history. Because I'm so lucky to make biscuits so often, I often think of the millions of people, the millions of hands that have made biscuits before me and how lucky I am to step into that ritual and that tradition and be a part of that. You know, and biscuits can be very consoling deeply consoling. And we all need that sometimes, especially right now. And the biscuit kitchen was dark for about seven months. And I was very anxious about resuming the biscuit experiences. I was anxious about safety for one thing, of course, but I was also anxious about being able to communicate and convey through mask and standing further apart. I've been so relieved that I don't think it has diminished the experience at all. In some ways, I think it's even more meaningful now because we appreciate the ability to be together all that much more. You're listening to Homemade. When we return, Chef Peacock gets down to the nitty-gritty detailing everything from his flour preferences to how he makes his own baking powder. And later, Chadwick Boyd closes out today's episode talking about his Biscuit Time workshops with Chef Carla Hall and walks us through his step-by-step guide to biscuit making. We'll be right back after the break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Marty Duncan, and I'm talking with Chef Scott Peacock. Well, I want to get into the mechanics, and I realize it is a very hands-on thing. Yes. Everybody close your eyes, and let's sort of, <laughs> let's let's kind of envision that we're at this biscuit experience. So, flour, super important. I know you make your own baking powder, and that's very important to the structure of your biscuit. And the flavor, and the flavor. Because, I want to yeah. start there, because I think that's what sets your biscuits apart from any other I've ever heard of. Thank you. I do feel that's important. Like when people come, my, my goal is never that people leave trying to replicate or that they would even want to replicate what I've done. But I do try to share what I know and why I do what I do. And maybe if that's of use and, and becomes integrated or not. Except for the baking powder, that is the one thing that I do openly wish <laughs> and say that I hope that people will leave and take with them. Because homemade baking powder Sounds very complicated, which is great because you can use that to impress your friends. It's two ingredients. It's two ingredients. It's cream of tartar and baking soda. Two parts cream of tartar and one part baking soda. There are no aluminum salts or stabilizers or anticoagulants or anything in there. There's none of that metallic taste or chemical burn that you can get with commercial baking powder. And both of those ingredients, if they're properly stored, will keep for three years at least. So as long as you have those on hand, you can always make up a little batch of baking powder as needed so you're not wasting and throwing away and buying extra cans at the store, which happens a lot. You keep it dry and cool and in the dark. Don't refrigerate it because you get condensation and that's not good for it. Uh, And you sift it before you use it because it does lump up and so does commercial baking powder, which has things in it to keep it from lumping. I do use very special flour. I was going to say, don't you use heirloom flour? I use very, yes, very specific antique flour or flour milled from antique varieties of wheat. White Lamas wheat that's milled into cake flour and red maize that is milled into pastry flour. And I get those from Anson Mills and my friend, Glenn Roberts, who is my mentor in all matters, antique grains, mills those and ships them to me. And anyone can buy them. Anyone can order them. And it's Anson Mills. Anson Mills in Columbia, South Carolina, and they are tremendous. And I blend them. I blend those two. They do have different flavors and different, the, the cake flour is a little softer, but I am basically blending them to approximate commercial, organic, unbleached, all-purpose flour. That's what I'm going That's for. That's what you can find locally. You would want an unbleached, yes. soft, like a winter. Yes. I mean, I hesitate to mention brands, but there is a national brand that produces an organic, unbleached, all-purpose flour that, I'm, uh, uh, that used to be my biscuit, had become my biscuit flour over time. And so when I learned about antique wheat and I actually grew antique wheats for a couple of years here in Marion, I started working to approximate the strength of that flour, which I like quite a bit. And it's more absorbent. It'll drink up a lot of buttermilk. I make a very wet dough by design, and I like the strength of it, and it gives me a crust because the crust has become very important. That was not always important to me. But as I've gotten older, I think it is essential. Like if, if I don't have a crusty top and bottom, I f- that feels like failure to me. Because the crust is so important and the, the top crust is different from the bottom crust. Very. Yeah, and, and they're equally important. And then the interior is really important that it be moist but not gummy and that it be fully cooked and not too much of it. That it's also dry enough that it absorbs butter and it receives jelly and any other number of things. And also at the same time, I feel like the first duty 
of a biscuit is to stand alone, that it it requires no butter, no jelly, or anything to be satisfying and meaningful. So. Okay, so speaking of what we're going to stuff inside this biscuit, what's your favorite thing? You mentioned fig preserves, I think you said. Oh, God. I, I mean, fig preserves are probably just my, or brandy figs that I make are probably just my favorite thing in the world, period. You have some but fig trees there on the property? I do. I had a huge one when I moved here and I planted a few more since. The first thing is, is that we do eat the leavings by themselves so that you're tasting just plain biscuit dough. And that, and what, of course, we usually eat a little bit of raw dough too, and people taste sweet in that and get excited. So, when I do get down to serving the biscuits, I like a little salted butter and something that is on the tart side. Either if I'm very lucky and happen to have mayhaw jelly, which is incredibly special, I feel like that's very, very good. Or even a muscadine or some or or a plum, like I love plum jelly, a clear jelly of some sort, or sugared raspberries, which are tart and I love. I don't know what those are. Sugared raspberries, that's something I learned from Miss Lewis, and it was a way of preserving raspberries or other berries, and it's equal parts sugar and fruit. And you crush it together just with a fork. You don't puree it. You just have this rough crush. And then you cover it with a cloth and let it sit on the counter for a day or two until it just begins to start to ferment a tiny, tiny bit. And then you pack it up and refrigerate it or can it. And it tastes more like raspberries than raspberries do. And it has a fresh, not too sweet flavor. And it's great because you can make it with frozen raspberries in the winter or blackberries. So that's my favorite way to start. I don't want to cover up the flavor of the wheat and of the biscuit itself. So usually we have one just with butter and jelly, and then I will warm up some, you know, thin sliced country ham, which I like also with a little bit of tart jelly in there too. I like that very much. And those I think are exceptional if you're making biscuits ahead of time to take to a party. I love soft butter and some sweet, you know, sharp sweetness and country ham, and then putting them back together and letting them rest for two or three hours and serving them at room temperature. I, I believe in that very much. I'm not opposed to reheating biscuits at all, and I think you can reheat biscuits with great satisfaction. But once they're filled, I feel like you 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 take it the way that it is. You don't try to reheat that. What is your big secret, like your biggest tip or secret that you can share with our homemade <laughs> listeners? If there is a secret, the thing that I would say, it's not a secret, but that... I don't think even I used to think about or realized as much as I do now, but I think the language around working the dough is often to me off. Like to use the word need at all, I feel like it's the wrong word because we think of kneading as yeast dough and sort of like really digging in and pressing. And I, I feel that that's where things can go south the quickest with biscuit dough is that baking powder is not yeast. It is not alive. It does not keep producing more. So if when you turn the dough out or even in stirring it, at a certain point, you can begin to expel the baking powder, the, the effervescence, the gas that's produced from adding that liquid. You expel it from the dough. And once it's gone, it's never coming back, period. So that's the main thing that I try to impress because what the, one of the biggest complaints you always hear about biscuits is that they were heavy you know, hockey puck, that's the standard. And I think that comes from compressing the dough. So I, I tend to think of the dough as a sponge full of water, and I'm trying to gently work with it to avoid squirting the water out and being just very, very aware that once it's gone, you flatten it, you compress it, you burp it, you deflate it, there's the lightness. So the biscuit has really risen on the biscuit marble or the counter or wherever, you know, and then it dilates a bit more in the oven. I love that. Don't be burping those biscuits, y'all. Do not burp the biscuit. Yeah. That's the <laughs> best tip ever. Well, listen, Scott, I have loved every second of this conversation. Could talk to you for a year, I think, and never... <laughs> Stop wanting to ask you questions. I, I cannot wait to come to Marion, to come and see the town and experience it and 
see what y'all are doing there. I think it's so important what you're doing down there. I want to encourage all of our listeners to go find out more about this wonderful biscuit experience in Marion, Alabama with Chef Scott Peacock. And you can find more information on his website, chefscottpeacock.com. Scott, thank you again. It's been a joy. And uh, y'all, go pick up that book. If you want to really expand your Southern cooking, go pick up his book with Miss Lewis. It'll be your go-to all the time. Thank you so much, Marty. I've loved every second, and I can't wait to welcome you to Marion and the Biscuit Kitchen. I'm so tickled to chat with my final guest today. He's an author, a TV host, an executive brand strategist, and of course, a biscuit boss in his own right. Chadwick has a touring experience called Biscuit Time, which he describes as not about baking bread, but making bread. He regularly appears in Better Homes and Gardens and Southern Living Magazines, and he's a champion for the home cook. So to close out today's special biscuit episode, I want to welcome the wonderful Chadwick Boyd to Homemade. Well, hello, my friend. What's up, Marty? I watch you and follow you on your social media. And I have to say, there is nothing that stops me dead in my tracks more than seeing some of those big, beautiful biscuits you post almost always on the weekend. We see some kind of biscuits from you. And I have to tell you, during the pandemic, that kept me going. (laughs) Well, it kept me going too. It kept me in my creative mind going. When the pandemic started about a year ago, I started to have dreams, especially on like Friday and Saturday night. And I would wake up at six in the morning with this new biscuit inspiration. And I just had to like get up out of bed, throw my cap on and get into the kitchen and just make whatever came to mind. Time to make the biscuits. Almost always those recipes were like A plus recipes where they like worked out perfectly. And I've had so much fun doing that and sharing that with everybody. Well, that's pretty exciting. Whatever it is, I can't wait to hear about it. I know I'm going to love it. You know, you've been cooking your whole life, and you were one of those lucky enough to cook at the side of your grandmother. I want you to tell us, I see you share her handwritten recipe sometimes. I'm so jealous because I did not know my grandparents. Uh, I have a few cherished recipes from my mother who I learned to cook with, but uh, I want you to tell me about your grandmother and what started you down this path to food and cooking and loving people through what you make? It's actually a non-traditional family story. So I was blessed when I was born. uh, My parents divorced when I was really young and then got remarried really young. And so um, before I was four years old, I had every single set of grandparents and great-grandparents alive except for two. So... Unlike most people and yourself, Marty, I grew up with my grandparents all around me, and I was fortunate enough that we were mostly farmers, so food was the number one thing that we were rich in. We were poor in money, but we had a lot rich in food, and uh, that's really where my connection to the table, to people, to creating special moments, even with the most simplest of foods, that's where that was born. But more importantly, Grandma Clara that I talk about and I share her handwritten recipes, um, we were related by marriage, but the moment that we met when I was three, my, my mother and stepfather said it was like kismet. And my grandpa too. And we just, I don't have a memory in my life where they are not a part of my life. And They were my greatest teachers, but my grandma was one of these people who would just go to the stove and she would sing and she would smile and brought so much joy to her to share it with others. And as a little boy, I just marveled at what it was that made her spark and just be happy. And so I joined her at the stove because I was like, I want some of that for me. Right. That's right. really where it all began. And and she had a cake decorating business. 
Uh, I didn't have coloring books, but I had um, icing uh, piping bags and I had a little practice board and she's like, have at it. And so that's what I did to create my designs and instead of crayons. Oh my gosh, that must have been a wonderful, magical sort of upbringing in the kitchen right there under your grandmother's wing and watching everything. She was having a grandmother that was a cake decorator. Are you kidding me? I'd have never left that kitchen. My mother was a great cook, but she didn't go in for decorating much and baked only a few cakes. She baked a lot of pies. And of course, my mother, like your grandmother, baked a lot of biscuits. There was a homemade bread at every meal, whether it was cornbread rolls or biscuits, every meal. So I want to jump in to the buttermilk and I want to talk about biscuits. So I want to start with the basics. Chadwick. Yeah. All right. Number one, fluffy or flaky? Flaky layers or fluffy middle? Which one are you? Of course, I'm going to say all (laughs) because there's not a a biscuit that I I make that um, I don't like. If I were to get up and make biscuits for myself, they would be layer biscuits. I like a little crispy, crusty on the outside and, and the different layers that I can kind of peel it apart. I'm not a cakey, um, kind of put gravy on top type of biscuit person um, all the time. I, I, I like to see those really tall, big layers. Okay, is that what you grew up with? Or that's something you've come to develop? So I grew up with kind of a combination of both. So my other great-grandmother was the real biscuit maker, uh, Miss Zilla. And uh, half of my lineage is from southwestern Virginia. And uh, they were tenant farmers. So they came up to where southeastern Pennsylvania, where I actually was born. There was a bunch of southerners that kind of settled in that area because they were tenant farmers that came up the railroad line. And uh, Miss Zella, she would always cook lunch for everybody in the town at 1130. And so I grew up with her just putting flour on the board and taking sour milk and just doing the kind of cupping with her hands to bring the dough together. And so it was a very, very simplistic type of biscuit, which were more cakey than they were like, you know, really big, tall and fluffy. And so Grandma Clara was like a layered biscuit. And then Miss Zella was the more cakey type. Now you have a million different varieties, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. But let's start with the beginning for the novice. So when you do your biscuit time class, I'm sure a lot of these people have never made a biscuit before. Are you of the school that feels like you only can use one kind of flour? Do you use self-rising or do you use regular flour and add to it? So Carla, this is something that Carla and I agree on. And this is what we talk about with our biscuit time class, that we are not of the school that you have to have a particular flour to be successful in making your biscuits. But there are some fundamentals that you should know. No matter where we are in the country, we all have access to the same like core ingredients. So uh, pick whatever flour, whatever brand you like, uh, but make sure you aerate it because you want that separation. If if you don't do that, then that's where you kind of get like super heavy biscuits or you don't have enough and you're kind of disappointed in that. Uh, But aerating it when you're measuring it is the first step or key. So aerating meaning like whip it with a whisk and get some air in there or sift it? Which Yeah, so um, I like a very simplistic way. um, You can take a fork or a whisk, put it in, dump the flour out of the bag into the bowl. I like a two-cup flour biscuit, so put it in a bowl aerate it with your fork or your whisk and then measure and then put it in your dry mix bowl. That's the smart way to do it because you, number one, you get the air in there and then it's not as compact when you go to measure. So you get a more precise measurement. Okay. So do you use self-rising or do you add your own leavening? 72% of the time I add my own leavening, but I do keep self-rising in my cabinet just because uh, it's easy. Typically in a biscuit time class, Carla will do uh, a regular all-purpose flour and I will show how to use the self-rising because we both believe that everybody should know the difference between the two and be able to make the choice. All right. So you do them both ways. And most three quarters of the time you do add your own leavening. So are you a baking powder and baking soda or just one? So I sometimes split between baking powder and cream of tartar. And I almost always add baking soda. I like the two together. 
I do too. I've never put cream of tartar in a biscuit though. So that's a new little secret. Thank you for that one. So now I want to get to the butter. So are you frozen butter? Not frozen butter? Are you grating your butter? What, how do you, how, what's your butter prep? So I almost always grate my butter. I do love the snapping of the fingers and, you know, doing that myself. As cooks, feeling and touching our food and, and connecting with our food is really important. And biscuits are a great way to show love to ourselves and to other people. So sometimes if I'm really in that mood, that's when I kind of, you know, snap it through my fingers. But almost always it's super cold butter, grate it, make sure that it comes through, that there's separation with all the different uh, pieces with flour. And that's where you're going to get success with the layers. So what I've started doing is I grate my frozen butter. Then I put it back onto a piece of parchment paper. Then I put it back in the freezer. And so it gets those little separations you're talking about. So when it goes into the flour, then it tends to separate better. So are you whole buttermilk? Are you milk? What do you do with the liquid? So if I'm doing buttermilk, it has to be full fat, really good buttermilk. This whole low fat buttermilk that's at every grocery store is crap, y'all. Don't pick that up. I actually am sour cream. <gasps> sour cream because it's it mimics uh, and is almost exactly like full fat buttermilk. And anybody anywhere can have full fat sour cream. Even if you can't find buttermilk, you can find the sour cream. So you just thin it out and you use that just like you. Oh, how smart. Thin it out with some really cold water or with the milk. Y'all, we're getting all the secrets today. Two things I didn't know about the cream of tartar and now sour cream. And you get that great tang from sour cream, too. Absolutely. It's the same with the buttermilk. So it like hits you right here on the back of your tongue. And it's, you know, with that sweet cream butter belted on top. Oh, so good, why are we so eating good. biscuits while we're talking about this, by the way? I know. I need to go and run in there and make some really quick. So are you don't handle it, you're somewhere in the middle or you're that, yeah, let's laminate it and, you know, get it exactly the flaky layers that we want, as many as we want. Where where are you? I'm a laminate the hell out of it uh, kind of guy. <laughs> Me too. Now I didn't used to be, I was like, don't touch them. And now I'm like, hey, yeah, that's good. There's something to me about the the folding of it. I mean, let's be honest. So biscuits really are about practice. Doesn't matter, you know, where you live and, and all that. It really is about practice. And the more you do it, the more you know. I've made tens and tens of thousands of biscuits. And that is what, you know, lets me do them really easily. But I really get a lot of joy out of doing the letter folding. Yes. So y'all that don't know what lamination is. So uh, basically, I'll tell you how I do it. I um, roll or pat out the first iteration of the dough to about an inch thick. And then I take the right side, fold it a third of the way on to the center. And then I take the left side and fold that a third on top. And then I take my, I like my French rolling pin and then roll that out. And people push too hard on the rolling pin. You really just want to start from like just the bottom of your fingertips to the center of your hand and just easily just let it glide until it's about an inch thick again. And then you fold it. I fold it forward a third and then on top a third and do it again. And for me, I think Three is great. Sometimes I got a little crazy and I do like six or seven. But I think the key after that, though, is you got to put it in the refrigerator and it needs to chill for at least 20 more minutes because we've been touching it. So heat is going to start to break all that stuff down. And that's not what you want to do. So that's the technique or method of lamination. Yes, because we still want that butter to be cold because we want it to help make the steam, which pushes up those beautiful flaky layers that we all love. Now, do you butter before you go to the oven? No, I only salt. I use flake salt on top of my biscuits. Yeah. Nice. Now, y'all, we're talking about a base hit biscuit because Chadwick has about 100 million thousand different variations of his biscuits on his website, which is ChadwickBoydLifestyle.com. You can find all kinds. I saw veggie skillet biscuits, cornmeal biscuits with cheddar and thyme, which I'm trying. 
Carrot sage biscuits, pumpkin brown butter biscuits. You know what the fan favorite is on our biscuit time tour? What? What is it? The carrot sage biscuits. They're <gasps> like, people look at me. So Carla's like, all right, y'all, I'm going to teach you how to do a, a buttermilk, a classic buttermilk biscuit. Right. And so I'm like, well, I can't do the same thing that Carla does. So I created these carrot sage biscuits that have roasted carrot in it with a titch of honey and some fresh sage. And people look at me like, what is this dude doing? Right. But then when they come out of the oven, you know, there's that biscuit smell that every biscuit gets like right as it's done. And that's when you know to open the the door. Right. And all of a sudden people are like, what is that? Right. And then they come out of the oven and they're like, oh, oh, okay, I I might I might be into eating that. Yeah. And then when they bite into it, they're like, oh, I'm going to have to make these. And then they're like, well, Carla, your biscuits were good, but. But okay, walk us through it really quick. Just really quick. Give us the overview of how we're going to make these carrot sage biscuits. So the trick to adding fruits or vegetables, an additive like that to biscuits is you want to make sure that you toss them in flour and fully coat them because moisture is not a biscuit's friend. So when you roll them in flour, then you just put them just quickly enough into the biscuit dough to bring it together. And then because biscuits need to come together quickly anyway, that way you ensure that they're not going to flatten and disappoint you, but they're going to do all the things that we want with a biscuit where they're going to rise and and get crispy on the outside. And so it's just like a rub sage that you use? I throw fresh chopped sage into the dry mix and then put the butter and then the carrot, add your sour cream or buttermilk, bring it together, roll them, cut them out, pop them in the oven. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And I imagine like for a real rustic or holiday meal, that is the perfect bread to go with it. Like that sounds great for Thanksgiving even. Yeah. So, you know, you started talking about biscuits, you know, give us this day our daily bread. My thing is give us this day our daily biscuits because biscuits are the most practical quick bread that anybody can make any single day. It's less than 30 minutes and they're on the table and they are fresh and hot and they just make you feel so dang good. Okay, so your favorite biscuit accessory, jam, jelly, honey, gravy, chocolate gravy, picking one biscuit accessory. Alan Benton's fresh sausage patty. Oh, I love that. His sausage has such wonderful sage in it that there's something with the butter that mixes with the sausage grease and the sage comes through and you got, I like a little black pepper in my biscuits too. It's just like the most beautiful, wonderful bite. All right. So we have talked about everything but temperature. What is your recommended temperature for a good basic biscuit? So I learned a tip earlier or in the fall last year that has become my thing. So I heat the oven to 500. And just before I put the biscuits in, I drop it to 450. And the thing about biscuits that everybody needs to know, whether you've never made them before, you've made them a long time, is once you put them in the oven, you got to commit. Oh, yes. You cannot open the door until the recipe says so or until you hear that smell. And I just know it. And it actually like tickles the the front part of my tongue where that butter has started to just turn to brown butter. And you just know the tops of the biscuits are that beautiful golden color. And that's when you open the door. So what we do want is when you put the biscuits in the oven, you want to like activate that chemistry right away because we want to go... We want them to punch up real fast. And so by the extra heat, what I've found is that it just jumps them up a little bit faster. So start them a little bit higher. Okay. Now here's a question for you. What's your favorite thing to do with leftover breakfast biscuits? Um, Marty? There is no such thing, is there? <laughs> I don't ever have leftover biscuits. <laughs> That's right. There's no leftover biscuits. It's like there's no crying in baseball. There's no leftover biscuits. I mean, if you do, then you're doing something wrong. (laughs) True that, my friend. All right. So I think we've gotten a pretty good number of secrets out of you. Is there one thing that we've done wrong our whole lives that we can fix? So I will tell you uh, one thing that Miss Carla, uh, my biscuit boo, has taught me 
to answer in a serious way your question about leftover biscuits, she's taught me how to turn them into biscuit crackers. So if you have leftover biscuits, you slice them just less than a quarter of an inch thick. And then you lay them down on a sheet pan that is buttered. And then you put them in the oven and they turn into crackers. And then you can just like spread pimento cheese on them. I mean, they're real, real, real good. And they're in Carla's cookbook, Carla Hall's Soul Food. Oh my goodness. That's one I'm going to have to try. And you could eat it with your soup. So good. But I mentioned pimento cheese though, Marty. I mean, biscuits and pimento cheese, come on. They're just such a natural thing, right? Yeah. They go together. Like Like um, Marty and Chadwick. We're John Travolta and uh, Livy (laughs) Newton-John. Oh my goodness. Well, listen. I just want to say, Chadwick, you have given us a lot of insight into biscuit baking and taken us back to Grandmama's kitchen and help us learn to wait for that smell before we open the door. So many great tips. Thank you for being part of our biscuit episode. Well, I am just sad that this is over because I've had a blast and there's nothing more that I love to do than to talk or bake biscuits with people, whether I know them or meet them for the first time. Again, thank you for being our guest on Homemade. We have loved learning from you, and we cannot wait to get to go to a Biscuit Time class with you and Carla somewhere in this world. Yes, ma'am. We're ready, too. You can find out more about Biscuit Time and all that Chadwick's up to at chadwickboydlifestyle.com or on his Instagram, at Chadwick Boyd. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and will use some of these tips next time you make biscuits. Next week on Homemade, I'll be joined by one of Food Network's biggest, brightest, and first stars, chef and author Sarah Moulton. A chef gets good at cooking from repetition. Well, so does a home cook. A series home cook makes recipes over and over again and perfects them. That's really no different than a professional chef. You may have caught Sarah on our episode dedicated to her friend and mentor, Julia Child. And I talked to her more in depth next week about everything from cooking live on television in the early days to creative ways to use your leftovers. I'm so looking forward to having her on next week's episode. Be sure to follow Homemade on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please, I'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Don't forget, you can find thousands of recipes, meal ideas, and cooking how-tos from the world's largest community of cooks at allrecipes.com. This podcast was recorded in Birmingham edited in Atlanta, and is produced by All Recipes with digital content director Jason Burnett. Thanks to our Pod People production team, Rachel King, Matt Sapp, Daniel Roth, Jim Hankey, Maya Croft, and Erica Wong. I'm Marty Duncan, and this is Homemade.